first of all, how has it been, you know, in Barcelona? Because you're Barcelona-based, right, for now? Yes. Yeah. How is How are things in Barcelona? Is there like a third wave or something happening like that? Yeah, well, the, at, at the moment, uh, the, the, I, I would say like the quality of life, considering the, the situation, uh, is, is good. Uh, because the um, the lockdown, uh, I mean, the days of the lockdown are uh, uh, are gone. So there's a lot of life in the streets, but you know, with with precautions. Um, also, of course, the, the weather helps a lot. You know, the start of spring is always uh, a very nice time to be in uh, in Barcelona. Uh, and then uh, I try not to watch too much the the news, so I don't have the the latest reports. Uh, but I, I know that the the virus is uh, basically the trend was like decreasing and now it's increasing again. It was expected. Uh, there's also a lot of uh, of tourists these days, uh, which is uh, yeah, uh, uh, worrying in in a in in a way. But uh, at the same time, it's just uh, uh, interesting to. Uh, again, see life in the streets of, of Barcelona. That's uh, uh, yeah. But overall, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I love Barcelona, and it was. I've always had a really, a really great time every time I've been to the city. So, I'm excited to see that things are getting better. I really hope Europe can get vaccinated sooner or later, so we can travel again and you know get to see each other in person soon. Um, but Andres, I want to go back a little bit because you are, at least in, in sort of our circles, right? You have something, you've created something very special with your partner uh, called I Am. Um, it, there's also the, I mean, it's I Am, the whole I Am universe, it feels like. You've done a lot of really interesting things. Can you take me back how it all started? You know, how did, how did this journey begin and, and how did I Am come about? Yeah, well, uh, thank you. It's uh, it has been a, a journey that started more or less six years ago uh, uh, with with my partner with Lucy. Um, we um, well, essentially, we are to understand a little bit of, of the context. Uh, we're both uh, from from Colombia, and we moved to Barcelona in, in two thousand nine. Um, we were running a small um, strategic foresight um, company. And uh, around 2014, we decided to uh, think of um, essentially creating something uh, that allowed people to get more insights into the futures of, of the internet. So we were working in, in the, let's say, in the field of, of futures, uh, especially looking at topics like the futures of media, futures of education, futures of arts, um, and then started to think, what can we create to get more people um, engaged in these kind of topics uh, and kind of move beyond the idea of delivering a trend report or like in in-house presentations for companies, you know, where the audiences are kind of very uh, reduced. Um, and uh, we started this, this was like a six month uh, idea incubation process um, to come with what uh, today is uh, ISAYAM. It started uh, with the intention of looking at the well, exploring a, a, a big question of what is the internet that that was kind of the opening question uh, which of course in the 2015 when we started was a, a different story 
And our approach to answer that question was initially to, uh, originally the, the idea was actually to produce a video series uh, asking a bunch of people that were running back then uh, independent publications, blogs, um, that were working in media companies, uh, in uh, tech companies, uh, to start asking these questions and understand better what is kind of what happens behind the, the screens uh, and how uh, these ideas of, for example, of collective intelligence were shaping in particular communities. Um, and, uh, and that was the intention to, to do these interviews, but the, these people, of course, were spread around the, the world. Uh, and uh, we thought, hey, maybe it's better if we gather them uh, in Barcelona for a few days, do the, the interviews here, uh, and then also meet each other. Uh, so in a very weird way, it started to morph into an event. Uh, and, uh, and the first and more, most visible project of IAM um, became the, the IAM Weekend, which is this uh, every spring since 2015 we have been gathering um, a few hundreds of, of people uh, interested in, in, in exploring very broadly this question of what is the internet from the perspective of creative communities, of uh, also of creative tech companies. Um, and as time goes by, then we just start, this question started to become way more, uh, more complex. Uh, as, as we started looking at the evolution of, of uh, society and the technologies, the digital technologies that we have been using. 2016 in particular, I think, was, was kind of a, um, maybe in, in uh, the next decade, we would look back at 2016 as, as like one of these important years uh, because there were a, a number of changes where the changes in the interfaces of the feeds that we were using that also start to have very serious implications in politics, in, in society at large. And uh, and essentially the what do you what do you what do you mean by that? Can you can, can we just double click on that? <laughs> Why is 2016 so important? Yeah, uh, 2016 was uh, was the year when, uh, on one hand, to just tell this, the story shortly, we uh, the whole Trump phenomenon started to to gain traction, and at the same time, um, the um, the kind of particular change that we we kind of uh, uh, blame for for many of of the things that have been changing society so much in the last few years uh, is that the feeds, especially Twitter feed, uh, became an algorithmical feed instead of being a um, reverse, reverse chronological, chronological exactly. And, um, and of course there were, there are many more things around this, but uh, this, this particular like design decision um, happened in, in around this time and uh, yeah, since then we we know the story but, of the of the last uh, yeah four or five years. Yeah, but wasn't I mean, I think wasn't Facebook already doing it much before that? Yes, and and, and the, the, this again, you know, it was kind of um of a trend that then yeah. gained momentum, and and here is where um, essentially this this way of of thinking about the the way we consume media. Uh, yeah. started to be manipulated and used by the big powers yeah. yeah yeah i think i think i think it's kind of a similar sort of history it doesn't always repeat but it rhymes right like it sort of happened with radio and hitler and mussolini as well right kind of radio was an early technology and then it was supposed to bring us together but sort of these kind of individuals and certain forces like you know sort of the fascist movement took 
and sort of hijacked radio in a funny way, right? And it felt like there's a bit of a rhyming happening. Well, it happened and it's, it's continuing to happen with sort of what Trump uh, did with Twitter, let's say, right? And, and that's, I think, uh, definitely a pivotal moment. Um, because, so I am weekend, I mean, and I was supposed to be there last year. <laughs> we, had, we had discussed in, I think, 2019 or 18 when we met that I would, we, I would come visit you guys the next year. But hey, we're now, we've been in the pandemic for more than a year and a half now. Yeah, almost. Um, so I hope soon uh, you will have your next uh, I Am Weekend and, and I'll be able to come down. But so I Am Weekend kind of became this uh, sort of, you know, unexpected event that started in the 15 and then it kept growing. And what else does I Am do currently? Because you have the I Am Weekend, which is this sort of, you know, I guess, key event where you invite all these amazing people from the community together. But you also have a couple of other initiatives you're running right now, right? Which is quite exciting. Yeah. So uh, essentially, what we have been doing since uh, since the, the start uh, is after after running the, the event, which is springs is the first part of the year. Then we dedicate to um, to develop a series of projects. More most often, they are, are uh, creative partnerships or collaborations with different kinds of organizations. Um, sometimes. Uh, it has been about uh, designing uh, experimental learning programs like we did with the University of Arts London or even designing a um, um, transnational think tank uh, looking at the impact of uh, technology in, in society for the foundation that organizes the Mobile World Congress, for example. So it has been the, the big label for the kind of work is like a strategic design, but always aligned with, uh, with, our, uh, with our agenda. Uh, that most recently has been, uh, let's say, like more uh, public, more defined, more detailed, uh, into looking at the socio-ecological implications and dimensions of, of the impacts that the digital economy is having on, on everything. So, uh, could we could we just talk about that for a second? Because you said a lot of very interesting words, <laughs> <laughs> and I've never seen them sort of put together in this way. Can we unpack that a little bit more? What does that really mean? Yeah. So uh, essentially, what uh, how we currently define IAM is as a creative research lab. We have always been like that, but only until now we, we kind of found these three uh, words to to really. So it's a creative them. research lab. Lab. Yeah. Okay. So um, and and what we what we have been doing and want to continue doing uh, is to explore, to understand better, but also to anticipate and, and shape in a way. Uh, the, the different kind of impacts that the digital economy, as it is now, as it is evolving, is having in um, in everything and by everything. It's we're referring not only to the ecological dimensions, but also at the societal dimensions. Uh, so there are currently we, we refer to these kind of three three layers of impact. One uh, which is the the mental, the second the the social, and the third the environmental, uh, and of course, there's a lot of intersections and um, interrelations between these, uh, these three layers. So um, we think it's essentially important. We have been talking a lot about, uh, from IAM, about the environmental emergency in the last couple of years. And uh, we think it's very important to understand the environmental emergency uh, also as a social crisis, not only as an ecological crisis. So this is why we are incorporating in our narrative the concept of the socio-ecological which offers, you know, a rich framework to to uh, organize better the ideas and understand, you know, it's not only about 
the emissions of, of or the energy consumption of technologies. It's also about the wealth concentration, the the gaps, the different gaps that that are becoming larger, uh, and 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 the essentially looking at, at them as, as part of the same issue and not like completely separate issues. Yeah. And I think what I've really always enjoyed in our conversations in person and every time I've seen anything from you or from I am and, or from, from Lucy or anything, right? I always like that you guys are not afraid of complexity. And that's always something which always stood out to me because a lot of organizations want to create their niche. Right, and they're like, "Oh, we only do this, or we only do this," and you're like, "No, no, we want to do all of it," <laughs> and 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 that's very complex. But I think because of the community and also how you're structured, you thrive in that, right? I think that's quite exciting. Also, because these answers are not easy; they're not simple. They need almost a holistic or a complete view of the of the issues, right? Because, like you're saying, climate change or or the or the solutions to climate change and the current issues around let's call it the non-sustainable methodologies of of how energy is created and consumed right let's just call it that high level have a lot of socio-economic aspects too we can't ignore that right and i think it sounds complex which it is and you guys are okay to be in that i think that's quite cool i like that a lot because you're not dumbing <laughs> it down you're saying no no this is the problem let's deal with it right yeah there's there's um uh, I think a challenge and, and one of, I would say, like a nice creative challenge, which is reframing our relationship with the concept of, of complexity or, or things that we describe or, or that are by na nature complex. Um, which especially, I would say, um, in like Western cultures, you know, it's a, there's a rejection, you know, complex or complexities refer to something that is not desirable, like should avoid is like looks nice and everything but you know i i don't want complexity um and um and this is something that you know we really need to find ways to get excited about complexity like design for complexity and understand for example that at the uh, at the scale of of cities uh, the richer ecosystems are the more complex ones then of course uh, there are a lot of um uh, challenges in terms of the relationship of individuals of each of us with complex uh, topics. So um, I guess it's something that both Lucy and I we have in our kind of in our DNA because in part because of, of where we come from uh, of being raised in a you know Latin American culture that is very uh, very complex, very I would say more than complex is chaotic. Uh, for for better and, and very comfortable with the chaos almost yeah right? i mean more than comfortable i would say that it is it is we are used to that so like like the yeah, yeah. you're not like and similar to being from india right? exactly. i can relate to that like i mean either you get stressed out about every little chaotic problem that's in your life or you just get used to it or comfortable maybe it was the wrong word but i think you said used to it's just yeah that's just how life is you have to you have to sort of go through all of this stuff to get to what you want to get to right and to get done the things you want to get done so yeah you kind of you uh, thrive in the chaos you have to yeah so so in in all our uh, like in in the company that we had before i am and it has been always this spirit of of embracing chaos and and of course it's nice words in in practice it's, it's hard and challenging but um in um 
let's say like this way of, of being or, or especially this way of thinking becomes, uh, I would say, mandatory in the in the kind of context that we are moving and, and, and especially as, as everything unfolds, right? It's uh, um, more and more a skill that, that is more uh, and an attitude, I would say, as well, that is more and more necessary in all fields of life, not only professional, but also personal. So um, it has been... I guess our tr translation of chaos has been the randomness, which is the, the mode of I am in randomness we trust, um, where the role that our experience with the internet uh, can play is, is huge because uh, it allows for collective thinking, collective imaginations, collective action, which is you know what we need to address all of these very complex um, uh, issues and not not let's say I, I would say that again the challenge is how how to address something complex without falling in the trap of trying to make something that is na a complex simple right this this it is kind of a false dichotomy that uh, and it's a, a could could become like a like a trap for uh, yeah. <clears throat> especially for uh, you know like global north uh, ways of thinking and where you have things like seasons or used to have things like seasons that were predictable. Uh, and any any other um, part of, of everyday life that you know becomes becomes predictable in in the Latin American culture in India as well. You know, you live very intense your everyday because you don't know if you are going to come back home. You know, not for everyone, and of course, I'm I'm just like ref maybe reinforcing a stereotype. But in a way, uh, my personal experience. One of the main difference from from living in in Bogota to live now in, in in Barcelona is that my mind is not like seventy percent of it thinking of who you know like feeling fear of being in the street of what can happen and what is happening to my dear ones like this constant state of of alert uh, and uh, here I don't need to worry that much about that side of things and and can uh, yeah engage with complex topics and and just like think and 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 play with them in in my head. So these these are more or less like this uh, uh, relationship that we have with uh, with complex topics and and especially the understanding uh, concepts like change or um, or emergence in 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 well in 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 the kind of um, issues that we want to to understand better so um, one example is is this idea of, of climate change and you know the truth is changes is the constant changes is, is what makes nature nature as what we are etc uh, what is interesting is more the agency that we can have in in kind of uh, setting the directions for the change uh, and or, or, or for creating conditions for change. And, and here is where um, a better relationship with complexity can become really, really useful of understanding that it is not maybe about solutions but it, and, and answers, but it's actually asking questions and working, like spending more time in, in kind of framing the better questions rather than, than try to, to solve uh, problems. And, and like uh, maybe we, we have... Uh, uh, had conversations about this before, but we we are obsessed with the idea of finding an alternative to the problem solution um, way of approaching everything, right? So 
that's 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 kind of of the one of of these open questions that that I think are are interesting to to address these days. So in your creative research lab, right? You, we talked about um, the I Am Weekend event. Is there is there one you've got planned for twenty twenty one? We have um, the current dates that we have planned are for uh, mid September, um, but we are and you're keeping it online, offline, or or, or like I mean, I guess yeah. Our our plan A is of course to 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 do it in 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 Barcelona in September with a few adaptations, uh, yeah. but uh, we for example we, we are um, let's say like putting on hold, waiting to see vaccination trends. Uh, of course the Ideally, I mean, ideally not like we don't want to organize any international event in the middle of a pandemic and the pandemic is still declared. Uh, like all the signs indicate that uh, we, it will be difficult to organize something like this this year. Um, we are looking at, you know, and, and having conversation with organizers of bigger events in, uh, in summer, like music festivals and be, uh, like mobile work uh, congress and you know it's you, we can already kind of anticipate that this is not a good uh, still a good year to to do it uh, but we haven't like made a still next month we will we will have like a final decision so uh, most probably we will run like um again like a remote version for it and then uh, organize a, a proper one hopefully for uh, for 2022 but the the main thing is is responsibility i think that's uh, that's a uh, the, what do you the mean criteria. By that? What do you mean by that? So the um, as uh, as event organizers, which we we had to go through this uh, decision making uh, process a year ago, uh, because the um, the pandemic was declared uh, just like one month before uh, we we had scheduled our our event. So even before the state of alarm was declared in Spain. Uh, we decided to to cancel the physical version of our event uh, and uh, and then move it very quickly into a re uh, remote version. So uh, our criteria was essentially back then. You know, it was very weird weeks. Everything happened very quickly. But back then, uh, the it was late February. It, like the um, COVID was something in China and Italy. So many of, 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 uh, of the attendees were telling us, I will go to Barcelona anyways. I already have the, the tickets, uh, I mean, the, the flights, the hotel. Um, but then, you know, in a matter of a couple of weeks, it was the state of alarm. And then it was not only Spain, but many, uh, basically all the countries. And, and the event ended happening in the first days of everybody in the world being in a, in a lockdown. So um, we were, uh, you know, in a, I guess in a way, in a, in a good timing in terms of, of being like one of the first events that had to do this, this, this change. And at the same time, it was, it was very stressful. Uh, but in terms of, of responsibility, uh, we were always thinking of not only on, on the four, three, four hundred people that we were gathering, but also in the people around them, right? Because I guess our audience is mostly young people, healthy people, you know, uh, but if one person, let's say that's coming from London, comes here for any reason, you know, maybe they have no witch at all by going through a COVID, but then in the process, you know, of, of being in Barcelona or going to, um, 
you know, a, a shopping mall, a store, whatever, or in an airport and thinking of, of what can happen with if groups of hundreds of people. And, you know, that's, that's a huge ris uh, responsibility. So, so that's, that's has been like always our, uh, our criteria, uh, despite of course, of course, all of the challenges that, uh, that we need to, uh, to address because of making these, uh, these decisions. But, um, I think that at the same time now, especially after one year of all of this, mm, more and more people and the institutions, the companies, you know, everybody kind of has a better understanding of of what um, a, a pandemic is, you know, and how, how challenging, I mean, in terms, we were talking about complexity and, and uh, th there is one aspect of, of, the, of, the, of the virus that, that I think is, is essential to understand uh, not only this, but other big challenges, which is invisibility. You know, it's, uh, it's very challenging to, yeah. uh, to deal with invisible things like, Carbon emissions in many ways are invisible as well. Algorithms, they're also invisible. You know, there, it's, funny yeah. when, it's funny when you were talking about the responsibility side of, of, you know, <clears throat> of what you had to go through with and every other event organizer in the world went through, right? I think, I almost was thinking, it is preparing us for these invisible issues, I, I feel. And I think, because, you know, it was very, um, it wasn't, it was most event organizers around the world uh, who were who are sort of flying people around or in, or people are flying around the world to see them have started thinking about the invisible responsibility of carbon, right? But now this was a very um, short-term <laughs> consequence to uh, you know sort of an invisible um, problem, let's say. Um, so I think definitely um, even in a post-COVID world, I think we're going to see you know a lot of alternatives uh, to physical gatherings of course they will happen but also if you if you take a step back how do we deal with these invisible issues have you thought about that yes all, all the time all the time it's um, um i think it's, it's again you know one of, of these very important questions uh, essentially one first understanding what what are the implications of dealing with invisibility and 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 then, like, look at the different layers of this. One, one of them, uh, where where we kind of have more more possibility to do something, uh, is in the in storytelling around it. Essentially, the narratives that we use to deal with invisible things. That you know, it's like a something uh, really nice of of humans in across across history. Uh, it comes back to, you know, to all the mythologies and legends and uh, religion, all of that. So if, um, if we're able to come with stories that are, you know, complex enough, but at the same time that more people can relate to, uh, to understand better these invisible things, uh, then maybe we can find ways to change that, that kind of power balance with the invisible and the forces that shape these invisible forces. So I'm talking about, uh, for example, um, algorithms and, and, and one, one kind of myth that has been growing around uh, algorithmic cultures, which is artificial intelligence yeah. uh, and the ideologies around using a par particular words. So 
a lot of this is, is completely about language. And, uh, and, and uh, here is, is where we need to do first um, um, a lot of work in terms of kind of developing an alert system to the consequences of, of the myths that are and the language that is currently being used, uh, especially in the digital economy, where things like uh, artificial intelligence is, uh, is, is, for us, is like the perfect example of of how picking some words can be very distorted, very complicated, and understand who is who is kind of shaping that that narrative. Yeah. And it's, it's and and I think it's also really I think it's something very important you get to right because um, I've seen like many people who have no idea how artificial intelligence works or how actually most people who say the words AI have no idea how it works. You know, they, they, and I think if you were to say, call it machine learning or call it smart scanning, right? Or, or sort of, you know, iterative scanning or something, that probably would make more sense. But I think it's very interesting that you say that we, I feel like we're living in a world today, and maybe it's always been the case, and this is the latest iteration, <laughs> the latest version of it, right? Where um, there's this sort of, um, I don't want to call it complexity porn, but like I feel like there's this overemphasis on things being out of our control, right? Like, like, oh yeah, the algorithms uh, will judge who wins or who who doesn't win, uh, you know. Like you said as well with AI, and I think, and I think the the the, the people that are working on these problems, right, <laughs> who are building these solutions, I never, I rarely hear them talk, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I think it's it's uh, it's it's complex. It's not easy, and I think language is a very important part. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, there's there's um, a lot of um, let's say intentions in <clears throat> in in the particular words and terms that are seeded in in media in uh, you know in in different in this kind of dialogues between the researchers, uh, academia, and then the industry, and then the the most let's say like uh, important one that is at the level of governments because you know governments are not like a external entity or something it's it's us you know you can agree or not uh, in in the different forms of government in different countries and, and and places but at the end we we are the government so when it comes to policy and then this vocabulary these narratives are ingrained in policy. Uh, then they become laws, and things can easily get uh, completely, completely distorted. And, and I mean, I, I mentioned this because we, in the last couple of years, yeah, we have been uh, working in the in the field of uh, uh, policy research, policy making, uh, with a, this uh, initiative called the Digital Future Society, uh, and uh, and we have been like. In, uh, in tables with experts, you know, academics, with people also from 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 companies, and having these discussions, you know, it's very um, very critical topic. Once a particular definition of something like artificial intelligence is ingrained in a in an agenda, and then you know the the kind of the regulation that may refer in, to it in a different way according to the not only the, the words, but the metaphors that they use to shape that policy, right? So, wow, uh, yeah, that's that's so important. And yeah. and 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 here, one one 
one metaphor or, or one conversation that has been, I think, shared uh, widely in the last few years is the metaphors for data, for example. Right? If, if we understand or a government understands uh, data as oil, it probably will regulate data uh, and the whole data governance will be similar to, to, to how oil industry is regulated or if it's, you know, an um, all, all, I, I guess that we need to make more attention to, to the kind of, of, uh, of words and, and metaphor that we use to it because then they have these implications. And I also think sort of, you know, there's this balance of kind of the political theater that we see around, you know, all the different, um, um, what do you, sort of um, legislation that's going on in the US where, you know, the Facebook and Google, they appear before Congress and they, you know, and the questions being asked are, I mean, some of them are so stupid, it's not even funny, right? Like, they clearly don't understand what these companies do. And even in 2020, 2021, they have no idea. And and the metaphors are kind of extremely wrong, <laughs> it seems like, right? At least in many contexts. So I think there's definitely a lot of work to be done. And I can see that, you know, you as I am have sort of as part of I am futures you guys are doing a lot of different a lot of different collaborations and partnerships and work right can you talk about some of the projects in the I am futures realm that you're doing and then I really want to talk about probably your coolest initiative that I can see the billion seconds institute that sounds so interesting and I, I was looking at the kickstarter and I'm definitely going to be backing it right after this call <laughs> so uh, I know the deadline is in a couple of days so uh, but let's talk about the futures first and if you could talk about some of the interesting collaborative projects that you guys are working on because you have some, I mean, you have the who's who that you're working with. So it could be really fun if you could highlight a few of the projects. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, well, um, I Am Futures. I Am Futures is the name that we decided to use to like the umbrella uh, sub-brand somehow for, for the work that we have been doing in the, in the last few years with organizations. Um, it, most of it has been like what you can define as a strategic design consultancy, uh, but that is more like the how rather than the nature of it. Uh, we have been lucky enough to collaborate with uh, uh, people working inside organizations like the, the BBC, for example, in a, uh, in a project looking at the, at the ways that the digital media consumption is impacting the mental health of vulnerable communities especially young people. Um, so there what we did with them was like a six month long uh, project where we brought into the, uh, into the BBC perspectives uh, from critical designers, from um, uh, artists, uh, people from communities that are usually not represented in the UX uh, specialist uh, conversations. And uh, and just like gave them similar briefs to the to the briefs that that the specialist in, in UX design uh, have uh, to see you know what kind of ideas can come of possible tools for people to change their relationship with uh, with their digital media consumption uh, and then we developed a proof of concept of, of from out of, of this process um, ran a, a couple tests and helped uh, them to understand you know what 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 can an organization as big as the BBC, you know, that has, they, they are in a very particular uh, position of being like a public service company, but also have the scale of, 
a huge scale, you know, that maybe just a few com organizations in the world have. Uh, but at the end, they need to, they are a public service organization. So they don't need to follow on the trap of, of venture capital and, you know, raising uh, uh, millions or billions uh, for a few investors. Uh, so um, it was, it was one, one example of, of, of a collaboration. Another was um, uh, with the more recent with the Center for Investigative Journalism in the in the UK. So um, they are essentially a journalist-driven uh, foundation that uh, organizes a training and also a series of events. In particular, what they have been doing is to invite uh, artists to the conversation. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, of uh, especially artistic researchers that have been doing work with journalists uh, or as allies of, um, of whistleblowers and, and investigative journalists. And, um, uh, and the CIJ will have, has been becoming like one of, of these uh, spaces where, where they can learn more about each other. So with them, we help them move their an uh, biannual um, conference, uh, a symposium actually, um, to, to a remote event. Uh, with the intention of essentially finding the opportunity in the crisis uh, by doing this. Uh, this used to be like maybe like 300 people in, in different European cities. The last one was, I think, in, in London. And, uh, and this time we had the, they had the chance to engage people from, uh, you know, around the world. So um, we helped them create, um, for example, uh, an open lab. We call it the CIJ Open Lab where we started to map all the, uh, well, a lot of, of projects and the whole ecosystem uh, because insiders know about this, these artists working with investigative journalists, but there was no like one resource where anybody can go on and, and look what, what, you know, like the kind of work that is being done and it's amazing. So, so we helped them create this, the, this platform and to um, essentially open up this, this very important work of investigative journalists uh, to more communities, especially like creative communities. Um, so that Would was... You, could you give me an example of, of like one of those instances? Well, what does it look like in the real world? Yeah, so um, one, uh, one of the most well-known um, modern project is, is an, an organization that, that is, is leading the kind of work uh, in, these, uh, in these intersections of like arts, tech, and, and journalism is a forensic architecture. Uh, uh, essentially, what they have been doing uh, is using um, all sorts of uh, digital technologies to support and also develop investigations uh, around well, uh, a broad range of, uh, of, of topics, but looking at, for example, um, assisting the job that uh, investigative journalism are doing with uh, um, satellite imagery, uh, with also things like facilitating the, um, the exchange of information with uh, whistleblowers, bringing a lot of data-driven um, methods to, to the journalistic process. Uh, and um, at the end, essentially adding um, adding a lot of value in the storytelling of this journalism as well. So I, I can't recall like one concrete specific project, but like forensic architecture is, is for me, is, is like one of the leading examples. 
but then there are um, yeah once once you start digging in, uh, there has been a lot of um, of very let's say like the the impact of this kind of work if if you look it from the uh, from the perspective of, of the kind of artistic ecosystem is uh, is deeply interesting. Right? Another also well-known uh, recent story was uh, an artist called uh, Paolo Sirio, uh, who who actually had a censored exhibition last year in in Paris uh, because he was kind of of using the tools that the uh, surveillance kind of uh, society is using against citizens. Uh, backwards so he released uh, it was something like uh, releasing the face using a face recognition system um, to release the faces of the like the policemen in in, in France I'm, I'm explaining it in a really uh, bad way it's it's way deeper than that but essentially it is this kind of of um, of, of approaches uh, of or unveiling there's a other collective I think is a this novation uh, that was un unveiling uh, how tax heavens operates. Um, so again, it's it's very interesting going back to the topic of complexity because it is this this kind of of people that with artistic uh, mindsets and, and like ways of thinking and doing in collaboration with um, with investigative journalists are dealing with with complex topics, you know, and and and. Uh, and not only to expose the topics, you know, but to engage people and, and, and kind of uh, allow the, you know, regular citizens to understand why these complex issues and the power dynamics behind them matter and what, what each of us can do. Yeah. And that was with the, the, the Center of Investigative Journalism, right? The CIJ. CIJ, right? yes. Yeah. And I, I can see that there's a bunch of links on your website, so I'll definitely link the website in the show notes. People can check them out and read as much as they want. Because, I, I mean, I think so far into the podcast, right, what I what I think has been made clear, and I already knew this, <laughs> but, but, uh, but it's definitely been confirmed, is that it's a lot of complexity that you're dealing with. And I think, and I think clearly the collaborations that you're working on... Um, are not easy, right? <laughs> you're, you're, they come to you, these organizations, or you work together to, to push the boundaries in a more open and in a more transparent direction. Could we call, could we call it that? Could we say that? Is that kind of a, a good North Star? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, it is challenging in a way that it is not how, um, how organizations usually are, are, yeah, how they are used to work with, right? It's, yeah. Um, especially in this kind of strategic consultancy real, consultancy yeah, realm, it, it's kind of very yeah. A B problem solution and I think, linear. Yeah, and I think that's also why I wanted to ask you is that how did these projects actually happen? Because you know it's complicated enough in a big, large organization like the BBC, or I'm sure the CIJ is also not a small organization. Maybe it is. I'm not sure of their footprint, but. How do you come up with these concepts and how do how does this happen? Like, is there, can you talk a little bit about how it happened with one of them? Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, or in general, how does it actually go about? You yeah, know? because it's it's an interesting kind of, of contrast because the BBC, of course, is huge. Uh, CIJ is, is, is a smaller team, uh, yeah. but, but with a large, especially a large ecosystem of influence in their, in their, in their kind of, of niche. 
But what yeah. happens, and it is the, the common pattern in, in, in this and all the other uh, projects that we have been doing, it always starts with a very kind of open conversation. So it's always has been um, most of them around the, our annual events that we start meeting people that just care about the topics, the questions that we are bringing. Uh, and then uh, they start like with a, a blank uh, Google Doc. And it's like, okay, somehow there's this, this will to do something together. And then the opportunity kind of comes. Uh, it has been very, very, let's say like organic. And it's also unpredictable in a way because sometimes we can still have these conversations and nothing happens. But um, usually there's an alignment in the in the kind of ideas that we are pushing forward and what these organizations are, are looking for. But there's always these, these, these people in organizations, you know, that are looking outwards, that are looking for the outsiders, for the people like us, that we are always in the edges and the boundaries of, of sectors, right? We, we are not in advertising or design or arts or journalism or technology, uh, but you know, we are kind of the water flowing between one thing and the other, and we are able to connect, like like bring the artist to the media and the journalist to the art and this kind of, of, of exchanges, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the idea of the internet, right? This, this network of networks. So uh, what, what we like, enjoy uh, a lot is, is doing this, uh, these connections and then finding ways, you know, that, that these exchanges can, can, can become uh, let's say, uh, well, sustainable in a way, but also very valuable in terms of what uh, happens when when these worlds kind of come together. Uh, so uh, the secret is have an amazing event and then <laughs> start great conversations and something will come out of the, it. <laughs> the event is the, uh, is nothing else than the, the, the medium. Uh, I yeah, think the yeah, more yeah, important no, but... that the event uh, is the, um, uh, I would say, the, the language. So yeah. we, we, we have, I mean, we organize events, but, but we, we are not event organizers. And, and this forces us to make things in a way that are uh, very, I mean, <laughs> like authentic because we don't know other yeah, way yeah. of doing it. And, and I think, and I, think I, I didn't mean to, um, to reduce it just to a, a pithy line, but I think the point was that, you know, you started from the as I think you said in the beginning of this conversation, you didn't want to do an event, but you accidentally sort of it it came out. The medium became an event. Yeah. <laughs> of, of, you know, and I think and I think that's that's also very um, important because you had you had you clearly had an intention to talk about certain complex issues, and the most it was it was I think in the beginning you said media right? You wanted to have interviews right? And and and. And I think to me that's what's interesting is that I there are so many events that were happening before the pandemic showed up, right, in the technology world. And in this plethora of events, I am, I am internet or I am internet, you were called, now I am, right? That was a very, that was unique. And that's very difficult to do. And clearly, I can see why it was unique, right? Because it was a specific intention that you went out and the event happened to be the path of least resistance to get to that outcome, right? <laughs> That's what it sounds like. It wasn't that, oh, let's come up with an awesome event in Barcelona. 
like like then it's like okay why not just go to mobile world congress right that's happening right there why come to i am and i think and i think that's what's interesting to me from the perspective of sort of you know individuals or groups trying to do something new it the lesson here at least correct me if i'm wrong the lesson here is that focus on the intention and you will find a path right at least that's what it feels like you kind of had an outcome in mind or maybe not an outcome but the start of a journey right and trying to figure out some of these issues and the event happened to be the easiest way if I, if you want to call it that i don't know yeah maybe more than easy it could be like a the more natural because again you know natural. It's, it's, It, it kind of yeah. it kind of happened but where the water flows best yeah yeah but That's my in my mind easy <laughs> was like kind of natural you're yeah, right yeah right. Made, so yeah. so i think that uh, to um, to reflect on on this kind of the value of of an event in in in, in this approach i would say that the key is um is the idea of organizing and uh, essentially we all enjoy and you know live many of us are able to to live really interesting lives thanks to this network of infrastructures that uh, that we call the internet you know that enable all of these exchanges this flow of knowledge of social exchanges as well all of this and um, so we have that infrastructure right and and is what what is kind of of the next step right so on one hand uh, is what is the input and and here we have always um, try to put questions rather than than like mm, i don't know like a de de deterministic agenda of saying things should be like this and this is kind of we, we of course th there are some some um yeah concrete visions that we try to push forward but always shaped around questions and and uh and that that is one one thing the other is that once you you kind of start to circulate these questions um people kind of find you, you know, uh, the curious minds kind of, oh, this is interest, interesting. And, and like, um, sometimes it's, it's more direct, sometimes it's, it's less, less obvious. Um, our, our visual language, for example, is very important in, in, in what we have been able to, um, to achieve. Um, and uh, at the same time, uh, it has to do a lot with being relevant, uh, you know, uh, Talking about the um, sociological implications of the digital economy is something that you can't ignore. And then there's some people that that you know just want to be informed, others that want to do something to change it, and and be part of of, of that change. So in this idea of organizing, um, that essentially is what we are doing at this point with the with the new initiative with the Billion Seconds Institute, um, is that we. We already had like um, um, a very organic community in a way that it was not kind of of structured. Uh, it, it was just happening again. Talking about complexity, yeah. so it was kind of you bring together hundreds of people every year. Something happens, and and uh, <laughs> and and this is kind of of, of the um, uh, serendipity of it. You know, we we started gathering um, people that were kind of in playing in the very different niche communities. And then they, they start to find in IAM uh, a shared playground. So this year we decided uh, after like all the reflections from 2020, um, we, we decided to organize all of these uh, all of these people in a network of communities of practice uh, with a lifelong lifelong learning approach. 
So let's say to, to put it in other words, we want to do something in terms of, of like changing how the digital economy is, is changing um, everything. So we decided what can we do as, as a small organization doing what we, uh, what we like to do, what we enjoy doing. Uh, and we found in the idea of, of learning because that is what we are passionate about, that this is what we want to dedicate our lives, right? To, to learn with others, to, to learn collectively. And then, okay, what do we want to learn? And, and it was kind of a, a big conversation and we ended up um, understanding that what we can contribute because, you know, there's, there are universities, there are research institutes, there are a lot of digital platforms that we, we, our contribution, what we aim to do is, is build a context uh, where many people can learn uh, to expand their ways of thinking, especially holistic ways of, of thinking. So essentially developing mindsets that embrace this complexity, that uh, also find ways of, you know, taking action as, as we learn. Uh, and here, the only way of that we think that this is possible is in a lifelong way, right? Is you cannot do a master's six months and then you're done now, you deal with complexity. It is a constant practice. So uh, this is where the whole idea of the Billion Seconds Institute um, uh, started to, to take shape. And, and you know, where, where, did, where did the idea, where did the name come from? What is a bit like, why the Billion Seconds Institute? Yeah, the Billion Seconds comes from uh, um, essentially from, from the manifesto, the Everything Manifesto that we published in, in 2019. Uh, which was our collection of pro proposals of also also of uh, thought experiments to change uh, the relationship of humans uh, with things like time, with business models, with growth, uh, learning, with design. So that we, we picked out like 10 big things and, and then called that things the, uh, the everything, but at the same time referring to everything as planet Earth. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's complex, but but uh, it's, it's again this intention of, of having this holistic approach. So in this manifesto, uh, we uh, on purpose were suggesting like, let's stop talking about or, or using the idea of billions only for money and for, mm. and for rich guys, right? The billionaires became like this definition of success in, in, in society uh, that we need to, to, to question. So we found in um, in the concept of, of a billion seconds, uh, a kind of an alternative to balance this narrative is let's stop thinking about billions of, of dollars, euros, billions in terms of money and think of what a billion seconds is because uh, what we really need at this point is uh, to learn how to deal with scale. So the scale of a billion seconds is um, a, a kind of ideal thought experiment to change our relationship, for example, with time. So a billion seconds, um, if, if uh, I, this is one of, of the stories that uh, we shared in, in, in the presentations, it's like, um, I, I celebrated a billion seconds birthday party. This happens like a few months before you get uh, uh, to well, 32 years old. Uh, so imagine everything that ha can happen in the yeah, almost 32 years, if you if you feel of or think of it as a as a lived experience, that mm. that is a billion seconds. Then we compare that with the amount of time that people, all of us, we are spending with our phones, 
uh, on, on more than our phones on front of screens every day. You know, it's, it, again, it's, we're scaling everything to a billion seconds and there's billions of devices. There's uh, billions of uh, gigawatts being consumed by these devices and everything is happening at this scale in the digital economy. So uh, this is where the intention of uh, naming the, the Institute as the Billion Seconds Institute comes from. It's also uh, a project that uh, has a very specific duration. It starts on April 22nd at 12 um, Central European time and ends one billion seconds later. We have the timestamp and for that we're going to create a, a time capsule to be very precise. So it has a start and, a, and an end, but of course in, uh, by 20, 2052. So that's the, we took the concept just <laughs> a little bit further. <laughs> I mean, I love it. It's, it's, there's so many things in that that I, I, I enjoy. I think there's just um, the foundational sort of um, rethinking of, you know, sort of like you said, you could say, oh, 32 years or a billion seconds. And just kind of getting people to sort of rethink in, in the scale of what a billion is, right? I think that's definitely um, very exciting, and uh, there's a there's a Kickstarter happening right for that right now. Yes, and, yes, uh, we and, we're uh, in the last week of of the of the campaign. Exciting! I think um, it's I'm I can see it's doing well already. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. I hope uh, I hope uh, I hope it continues to be oversubscribed. Right, you've already oversubscribed, so that's great. Yeah, yeah, the, the intention uh, for us, it's, well, first of all, the Billion Seconds Institute is a non-profit uh, initiative, uh, but yeah. also we wanted to build it in a way that is sustainable so that we don't need to uh, stress out about finding money every month, every every year to be able to dedicate to this. So we decided to, to, to run it in a membership model, uh, um, yeah, with, with a membership model. And um, we realized that the best way to to start it was in a in a crowdfunding. It it's essentially it stands for what we want to achieve collectively, uh, and yeah. uh, and the response was overwhelming. Uh, we were we planned for a three week campaign, and uh, and uh, reached the the minimum funding goal uh, like um, four days after after launching without using. <laughs> any paid social media because that is against our principles we don't pay for facebook ads or anything it was emails uh, sharing on, on 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 the channels that we already have built this uh, five years and and yeah the the community it has been amazing as well because it has been like 50 percent is people that have been supporting us for for a long time and uh, but also 50 percent are, are completely uh, like new people uh, for us right that have found us yeah. through um, uh, through the different and through feeds. the network right yeah ex exactly and, and and that has been uh, amazing uh, people for example yeah. that have been supporting things like the long now foundation that is one of these um, um, projects that you know for already for for a long time uh, have been inviting people to think in in uh, well to apply long-term thinking uh, and yeah. so these kind of people are, are finding us and say like, oh, this, this feels like the Long Now Foundation for, the, for, for this decade, right? Yeah. And, and that's super exciting. And I, and I think that's also kind of, you know, a very important message, right? You guys are a, a half a decade overnight success, right, with this project. <laughs> it took you guys, 
it took you guys some it took some time it took some effort took some intentionality and sort of you know grit to stick to your um stick to your guns right stick to sort of say what you're going to do because you could easily spend five thousand ten thousand euros on on facebook ads but you want to you've done it that's against your ethos right and i think that's something which i think is very important also to talk about because i think um in in a complex world right it's also about finding um people who you share the same values with and values are shared not by talking about it but by the actions you take right and i think people can see that also with i mean something very specific but how you've designed your entire visual universe like it feels very also authentically i am it's not it's kind of you know it's like i'm sure there's some cues that you've taken from other places that were inspired by that you that inspired you guys but but it's amazing for me personally i, I think it's very unique you also have this concept of intercitizen where does that come from and what does that really mean yes yeah, so intercitizen is uh, essentially a a word that we are uh, inventing uh, as a as a proposal for having a, a tool you know we, we we know that words as as uh, earlier i was saying you know there are other people that using ai and the ideas of artificial in intelligence against many of us i think that we can also do it, you know, any of us. So um, the idea of intercitizen comes from a, a, a dream, you know, this idea of what if as a, as a, as a migrant, I, I have always uh, dreamed with, with the idea of having, you know, like um, um, a universal passport or something that essentially stands for any of us being citizens of, of planet Earth. So... Yeah. Um, we have for a while we have been thinking of you know how can we use the internet to enable this kind of, of dream of vision uh, and then realize that uh, actually if we understand the internet as infrastructures not as spaces as as it's uh, often the case that we think of and the metaphors again here is like I go to you know and it, it is like this uh, has become like this imaginary space which is not it is infrastructures networks of infrastructures what if we use them to share what you were just saying, share values, share ways of being that are referring to this uh, sense of belonging to, to the whole, to the planet Earth. So yeah. uh, how, I, I mean, it's, it's a very basic proposal. It's using the, the prefix inter, that is in the internet, network of yeah. networks, to the broad concept of, of citizen and citizenship, uh, which we feel that today it is, it is a little bit of, of, of narrow because it is limited to uh, nation states, to, to borders. We know all the issues that uh, in, in, the, you know, in, in the conditions of an environmental emergency you know, or, or a pandemic that, you know, a pandemic, a virus doesn't understand of, of this kind of fictional borders that we, that we have. So we need to evolve the, the concept of citizenships, uh, and and this is this is part of, of what we want to do in the in the coming uh, years of of rethink citizenships and adding this this interconnectivity. This uh, I would say the, the concrete uh, concept that, that that we want to to or that we use to illustrate the the idea is interdependence, right? Is uh, is how how we can understand better the the relationships. Not only their relationships, but interrelationships 
uh, between between us, you know, as, as, as human beings, but also with non-human beings. Um, and, um, and in particular, um, look, uh, trying to look at difference in a different way. And difference is, is what, what um, make each of us who we are. So we can maybe find ways to relate to each other, despite, if, even if we have different ways of thinking, uh, more left or right or whatever binary you want to what you want to try um, understand that at the end we are part of of the same of the same whole of, of, of planet earth and of course this is um, very uh, very abstract but then um, there are of course many opportunities to bring this abstract way of thinking into addressing issues that we have uh, uh, today especially in relation with uh, with digital technologies and I mean, I think there's so much of what you're saying I find really that resonates with me and I hope with some of the listeners. And I think, you know, because I've I've grown up in India, I went to a very international high school from when I was a, um, just became a teenager to when I graduated high school. I was around people from about, I don't know, 60, 70 nationalities, everyone speaking multiple languages, right? Our commonality was our interests. Our commonality was our was our energy towards, uh, you know, uh, sports or to uh, a certain subject, right? And I think it's always really funny to me to watch the Olympics, right? Because the the the, the two people who are in, let's say, uh, the you know, the finals of um, wrestling is one of my favorite sports. So the finals of wrestling, right? From let's say from Russia and the United States, they're supposed to hate each other as polit political political countries. But these two men, women, whoever, these two competitors have more in common than most people from Russia with that one person so that so they they're they're almost dna they're almost copies of each other because <laughs> yeah. they're and i think that was always a very very interesting dichotomy to me right you're representing your nation you're representing your country your flag but if you go back to your country you know after you win the medal or lose the medal whatever happens you are still extremely different from everybody in your country <laughs> And, and you're much more closer to the competitor you were competing with. And I think a very, um, you know, a tough example of this is what happened to Muhammad Ali, right? He won the Olympic gold medal, and then he went back and he couldn't even eat in a restaurant, you know, in his state because he was of the wrong skin color or whatever this, the issues that were being dealt with, you know, in the U.S. at that time. And I think it's it's this... And the internet, as you said, right, is, is a new infrastructure layer that is global by nature, right? And that has created a lot of interesting, interesting opportunities. But we've seen these opportunities as closed rooms. I think you said the word room or spaces, I think. And, and you know, where we're going now with so many innovations, right, we're kind of reshaping it also in the perspective of, you know, kind of, um, what's happening in the medical sense with health tech and biotech, what's happening with cryptocurrencies, what's happening with so many sort of changes where the innovation, right, is kind of going outside of the realm of the communicating and media layer mm -hmm. to other layers. I was listening to someone called Matt Ridley. He's written a bunch of very interesting books. And one of the most latest one is on innovation. Um, and, and he was sort of saying that, you know, sort of, intergenerationally innovation changes from sector to sector 
like in our grandparents, depending on where in the world you grew up, right? It was maybe um, the revolution was in, or the, the innovation, sorry, was in transport, maybe, right? It went from horse carriage to cars. And we still have the cars, you know, even though Tesla is a little bit different in the way the engine and the structure, still a car, right? Um, and the innovation is now slowly coming in those areas, right? But the innovation for our generation, if you were born, you know, from the mid 80s forward, right, has been in this sort of blossoming of the internet, blossoming of this global connected, interconnected uh, media revolution, innovation, whatever you want to call it, right? And all the interesting products that have come out of that. And if you look at the origins of all of this, it you wouldn't have expected it to be what it is today. And I think that's also what's exciting with the work you're doing um, is that it feels very inclusive and open, right? And, and not in a very woke way. And I know language is interesting and maybe woke means something positive to some people. But for me, it's been sort of overtaken and the word has become something, you know, not what I agree with always, mm -hmm. right? But I think, and I think language is really important here. So I think... I don't want to offend anybody, but in my opinion, what organizations like yours, right, focus on, and the name is also really, I think, I am. It's just like, okay, that's it. You know, what else? Like, you can choose to be whatever you want to be, and I think that's already kind of a good foundational layer to build on. Um, thank you for organizing everything you're organizing and doing all that you and Lucy and your team do, and the Billion Second Institute is really, really interesting. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited to be a part of it in whatever way I can, and and it's really fun to you know get to know you more and talk more as always. And I can't wait to hopefully do this in person, maybe in Barcelona or maybe when you're back in Copenhagen or somewhere else. Uh, we will do it again, hopefully with Lucy next time. For um, sure, for sure. Um, but as it's sort of the final wrapping up question, right? I think what I wanted to is there is there is there a core message that I am wants to leave in the world? Sort of, you know, if you stop working on this tomorrow, you know, whatever happens happens for whatever reason you don't want to continue on this. What would be the one sort of lasting message or legacy that you would want I am to, I am to leave? Yes, I, I I would say it's ingrained in the in the purpose that we have for for this new initiative of the Billion Seconds Institute. Uh, which also relates to what we were discussing before, the concept of intercitizen and intercitizenships, which is how critical, how important, how but also how beautiful it can be if we are able to change the, the kind of the current dynamics, especially in the digital economy. But, you know, the digital economy today is like the economy. Uh, but today it's completely uh, user-centric, uh, which is all about uh, the idea that was also discussed a few years ago in, in the world of marketing of consumer-centric. It's essentially removing many layers from a human and then it becomes just a data point. It's a, um, something to be used, user. It's a consumer, someone that only exists if it is consuming, right? It's, is we need to change all of that, right? So what is what is kind of the big issue, ideology behind all of this? Some people call it capitalism. I, I think that capitalism is just a, a system. Uh, we cannot blame a system. 
but what we can blame and what, what we need to be more aware of is the, um, uh, the ideas of individualism in society, right? Um, and our, our core message, our proposal, like uh, what we want to be our legacy, what we are going to dedicate our next, hopefully, three decades of life uh, is to, okay, we, we're changing this into what? That what being the interdependence of responsible citizens of planet Earth, of being becoming intercitizens. Uh, this this is not the intention of of dividing the world into intercitizens and non-intercitizens. It is essentially to find ways to develop protocols that you know that consider all of these very very important um, values in in a particular, I mean, in a context of an emergency, right? We, we need to be very aware that um, uh, it is essential that we take action. But to take proper action, we need to think and um, rethink uh, ourselves, you know, our own identities. Um, so we, we hope that in the different uh, projects that we do with the different initiatives that, that we can um, kind of cultivate uh, within and around the Billion Seconds Institute that more people kind of start to question in their everyday lives how all of us are falling in the trap of individualism, right? In, in, the, in the way that, uh, that we, in particular, in particular, how we are relating with digital technologies and, and how we are spending our attention, which is, you know, it's a, it's a very limited and valuable resource that currently uh, it is being uh, extracted by by the big data corporations right they uh, so so i think it's time to to wake up to be aware of of this and um, and to become as uh, become more aware of our inter interdependencies that would be the i would say in a way a, a core message yeah and i think one of the core what I got from what you were just saying, right, is is there's, I mean, I think there's, I, I'm forget, I'm blanking on the name of the author who who said it, or maybe it was a Greek uh, Greek mythologist, right? Uh, someone, uh, a human is born twice when they're born and when they figure out the reason why, or when they awaken again, right? And I think this sort of awakening and realization of, you know, what is limited and what is important, right? Is, is 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 essential but also to think about it in a long-term perspective so yeah i mean um i wish you many 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 billion seconds of of you know of courage and of of happiness and you know a lot of success with your amazing nonprofit and also with i am in general thank you uh please give lucy my best when you talk to her when you see her um and um yeah thank you so much for your time andres i will link whatever you send me to link below in the show notes and i really hope people check out everything you guys are doing and uh, as always you know continue the amazing amazing work you guys are doing yeah stay in touch thank you git thank you so much take care thank you bye bye bye